0: If you would open your Bibles to Mark chapter 14 Mark chapter 14 Have you ever been betrayed by a close friend? Have you ever had someone you thought was a friend Not stand up for you When you were in a difficult situation And act in fact like they didn't know you Turning away from you Have you ever had your friends abandon you When you needed them most Pain of betrayal And having a close friend Turn away Is something David wrote about Several times In the book of Psalms In Psalm 41 A Psalm of David He wrote Even my close friend Whom I trusted He who shared my bread Has lifted up his heel Against me Later in Psalm 57 uh, Again a Psalm of David He contrasts what One might expect From an enemy Not from one who is a close friend If an enemy were insulting me I could endure it If a foe were raising himself against me I could hide from him But it is you A man like myself My companion My close friend With whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship As we walked with the throng at the house of God My companion attacks his friends He violates his covenant And then in the next verse, the deceit, I think, is so well described. His speech is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Friends abandoning someone is what we find in the book of Job. While they stood by him, or sat with him for seven days in his anguish, when he finally cried out, they turned on him. And in my view, they abandoned him. They're still there, but they're, they're criticizing him. They're judging him. They abandon him. And the result of all this is what we find in uh, a verse that I find very, very moving. It's the last verse of Psalm 88 by Heman the Ezraite. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me the darkness is my closest friend. Or as one reading in the ESV has it, darkness has become my only companion. The common English Bible says, my only friend is darkness. Or the message by Eugene Peterson, the only friend I have left is darkness. We just read on the night he was betrayed, it is darkness. We come to that night, When Jesus was betrayed, and then Peter denied knowing him, he was abandoned by his disciples, and he was left with darkness. And while it is the horror and the degradation of the cross that usually comes to mind when we think of the Passion Week and the sufferings of Jesus, we should not blithely or in a cold clinical way read or discuss or consider The betrayal, the denial, and the abandonment that he suffered that night. Last Sunday, we saw that Jesus told his disciples that one of them would betray him. They were saddened, and one by one, they said, Surely not I. It is one of the twelve, he replied. Then he told them that they would all abandon him. Peter wouldn't accept this. He says, even if all fall away, the rest of these guys might abandon you, but I will not. And Jesus tells him, tonight, today, before the rooster crows a second time, you will disown me three times. We know what happened. That's what we're going to look at today. But we may, in fact, miss the pain of it all. The betrayal, the denial, the abandonment, involving one and then all of the 12 men who had been with him for three years. He had chosen them. He had taught them. He had sent them out to announce the gospel of the kingdom and given him the ability to heal and cast out evil spirits. They had seen his miracles. They're not enemies. They're his friends. When he institutes what we've just celebrated, the Lord's Supper, it is with them. It's the final Passover that he will have with them. They sang a hymn together, and yet they will abandon him. As our passage begins today, they have left Jerusalem and they're going just outside the city walls. Uh, It's a familiar passage. It is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. As one commentator put it, it is with profound reverence that one approaches the Gethsemane narrative. Gethsemane was a garden just outside the city walls. It's at the foot of the Mount of Olives. Uh, That is where Jesus goes with his disciples. Verse number 32, here in Mark 14. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. They get to the Garden of Gethsemane, and then there is a separation. Jesus says to his disciples, Sit here while I go and pray. Uh, and Something I think we need to see is that this was not unusual. We have seen this in the Gospel of Mark. Um, No one says, Why do we have to stay here while you go off and pray? There have been times in his ministry when he goes along, uh, goes away to pray. In Mark 6, uh, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. This is after the feeding of the 5,000, and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Jesus going by himself to pray Is something that they must have been used to But as he separates from the disciples He takes with him Peter, James, and John These were the three disciples with him On the Mount of Transfiguration And Jesus even before he begins to pray Is in anguish And he tells them that he is suffering My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow To the point of death Stay here and keep watch. Shouldn't they have said something? If somebody comes up to you and says, listen, if you can, even before they say anything, you can see that they are deeply distressed and troubled. And then they say, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of, don't you say something? Don't you say, can I help? What can I say? What can I do for you? Um, did they not notice that he was deeply distressed? They've been with him for three years. They, I think they should have had a hint that he was really troubled. They seem oblivious to his pain. Instead, he tells them, stay here and watch. like, okay. And they stay there and fall asleep. Then Jesus prays. Going a little farther... We don't know how far this is. Some have suggested it's just a few yards. It's within hearing distance. Okay? They can see him. Okay? He falls to the ground and prays. The normal posture for prayer among the Jews was to stand with one's hands raised toward heaven. There are occasions, though, in the life of Moses, with his brother Aaron, where there's trouble, where there's sin in the camp, and they fall on their faces before God. And this is what we find with Jesus. It's an indication of great distress and spiritual anguish. And the prayer request is if it is possible that the hour would pass from him. In the words of the prayer, which are found in verse number uh, 36, Abba Father. That is, Abba is a term of affection. It's like Daddy. Uh, There is, in fact, a relationship here. He's not talking to someone who is Distant with whom he has no relationship. Everything is possible for you. It's an acknowledging of God's divine power. And then take this cup from me. That which is appointed for him. And all that it involves. Jesus asked it could could be taken away. But finally he says yet not what I will. But what you will. It is submission. It's what we call active submission, and we've seen this usually around Christmas time when we read the story of Mary. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Gabriel tells her she's going to have a child. She's a virgin. How is this possible? Think of all the scandal that could result, being shunned even by close friends. But she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Please listen carefully because I'm going to be very careful how I say this. Jesus did not have to go to the cross, he was not forced. He consented to do so. But his prayer is that if it was possible, he would not go, that he not go. But he consents, he submits. To God's purposes. Well the three disciples. Who are just a few yards away. Sleep through the whole business. Simon he said to Peter. Are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for an hour. For one hour. That's interesting. It seems that Jesus had not simply said. What we read in this one verse. But had been talking and repeating. And saying. Pleading with the father. That this cup would pass from him. But then he tells them. Uh, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Please remember these words, because I think it is the key to this entire story. Watch and pray. You not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, the body is weak. This is what Jesus has been experiencing, and he has, in fact, been praying and this is what he passes on to his disciples. This is what you should do. But they fail to take it to heart. Then we find out that Jesus repeats this two more times in verse 39. He uh, Comes back, they're still sleeping. And it's interesting, they did not know what to say to him. This is like what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter says, we need to build three tabernacles here. This is because he didn't know what to say. Well, Jesus says, you know, you're sleeping could you not wait and or watch with me? They don't know what to say. The third time, Jesus returns and prays, and then he finds when he's finished that they are still sleeping. From this example of Jesus, we learn that to imagine that praying about something deeply and passionately, you only have to do it once. If you're really, really earnest and really sincere, you only have to do it once. It's not the number of prayers that moves God. Okay. Something more important, that is as we watch and pray, by God's grace, we do not fall into temptation due to the weakness of our flesh. And then Jesus says, okay, that's enough. Let's, the, my betrayer approaches. And now we have the betrayal. The night he was betrayed, here it happens. Look, if you would, at verse 43. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer, it's interesting that, you know, Mark won't even mention his name at this point, had arranged a signal with him. The one I kiss is the man. Ar- arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him The men seized Jesus and arrested him Then one of those standing near drew a sword And struck the servant of Struck the servant of the high priest Cutting off his ear Am I leading a rebellion said Jesus That you come out with swords and clubs to capture me Every day I was with you Teaching in the temple courts And you did not arrest me But the scriptures must be fulfilled Then everyone deserted him And fled A young man, wearing nothing but a linen garment, was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. So a crowd comes, a lot of people with swords and clubs. They are armed, They're sent by the religious leaders. And they've been given instructions by Judas, the betrayer. The one I kiss, he's the one that you arrest, and you take him back under guard to the high priest. And so he goes to Jesus and he kisses him. First he says, Rabbi, a term of respect. And then the kiss, a sign of affection. It is sort of the ultimate in betrayal. Jesus is arrested. One disciple, we're told elsewhere, it's Peter, takes a sword and cuts off the ear of a servant named Malchus, servant of the high priest. Uh, Jesus, by the way, puts the ear back and heals him. That should have said something to them, but it doesn't. He questions the timing of the arrest. arrest. We know the answer. He's like, why are you doing this at nighttime? I've been in the temple courts teaching all this time. Why didn't you do it then? Well, because they were afraid of a riot. They were afraid that the people would react. So they do it under the cover of darkness. Then everyone deserted. The disciples run. Jesus said they would. They abandoned him. And it is in verses 51 and 52, we think that Mark makes an appearance. You know, in the Gospel of John, John never uses his own name, okay? He's like the one whom Jesus loved. We think this is Mark, not one of the 12, but related to Peter, that uh, we don't know exactly what happened, but he's sort of in his bed clothes. He's in a linen garment. He's dressed for bed, and we don't know if he heard the commotion and he goes out to see what's happening and is following Jesus and then somebody tries to grab him and instead they get his pajamas if you wish his linen garment and he runs off naked and he goes back home. We think in fact that this is Mark that he shows himself also as one who deserted Jesus. Then beginning in verse number 53 we have the trial of Jesus. Look if you would verse 53. They took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests. Elders and teachers of the law came together. Peter followed at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And there he sat with the guards and warmed himself by the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they could not find any. They did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him We heard him say I will destroy this man-made temple And in three days will build another not made by man Yet even their testimony did not agree Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all con- condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him and struck him with their fist and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. Jesus is put on trial in front of the Sanhedrin. This is the Supreme Court of the Jewish people. They're there to find evidence against him. They want to find him guilty of something, anything, just so that they can put him to death. And all they can come up with is conflicting testimony, false testimony. One example is given, we heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple and I will build it in three days. This is a misstating of what Jesus said in John chapter two. Destroy this temple, he didn't say I will. He said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And he was not speaking of Herod's temple, he was talking about the temple of his body. But he is silent before his accusers. Which seems to frustrate the high priest. And so finally the high priest asks, Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? We may wonder, because this is like the first, what does he mean the son of the blessed one? Uh, This is an expression that we as Gentiles are not familiar with. The holy one, blessed be he, is one of the most commonly used designations for God by the Jews. It turns out, it is by far and away the most popular name of God in rabbinic literature. Among the Hasidic people, uh, they refer to God as master of the universe, but here, the blessed one. This means, are you saying you are the son of God? Uh, Now, he's not thinking in terms of the Trinity. He's thinking in terms of blasphemy. Are you claiming to be the son of God? Um, And Jesus says, I am. I am the Christ, the son of the blessed one. And judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. You will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. Yeah, I am the son of God. I am the Christ. And judgment is coming. But the high priest doesn't hear that. All he hears is blasphemy, and so he tears his clothes. Traditionally, among the Jews, it is a sign of sorrow. When someone dies, even today, among Orthodox Jews, if someone dies, usually a cut is made on some part of the clothing and a little tear is made to say, somebody has died and I am grieving. But here, he is sort of overwhelmed by the blasphemy. At least that's what he's saying. I think it's a symbolic act. He's trying to cover up for the fact that he wants to murder this man. He's found a reason. He's found his evidence, if you wish. Jesus is guilty of blasphemy. Oh, I can't believe it. This man blasphemed. We've got to kill him. And he tears his clothes. He asked the crowd. He asked the Sanhedrin, the 70 elders. You know what? What do you think? And they're like... Yeah, he deserves to die. The verdict is death. Yeah, but before they get to that, in the meantime, if you look at verse 65, they began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, prophesy. The true character of the high priest, of the chief priest, the teachers of the law, the elders, the members of the Sanhedrin, is seen here. These are supposed to be the top of Jewish society. And instead, what we see them as acting as what we would think the bottom of society would do, act in such cruelty, such disgusting cruelty, to spit at someone and then blindfold them and then hit them with your fist, and then to say prophesy. Uh, Matthew clears this up a bit for us. He says, prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you? In other words, they blindfold them and hit. Okay, who hit you? Prophesy. Which one of us hit you? Now some people have said the high priest would never do this. The chief priest, the elders, they would never do this. this. These are the people who work for them. They're underlings. They do this. Okay, fine. They still do nothing to stop it. And what we find is just sheer cruelty. Then the guards take him out and beat him. And one would say, well, that's kind of what they do. That's, that's their job. It was cruel nonetheless. Through the midst of this passage, a verse from Isaiah 53 comes to mind. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter, and as sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Now we come to the last part of chapter 14 Peter's denial We're told in verse number 54 That Peter followed at a distance And then he warms himself by the fire Outside where the Sanhedrin is meeting Verse 66 While Peter was below in the courtyard One of the servant girls of the high priest came by When she saw Peter warming himself She looked closely at him You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said But he denied it I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said And went out into the entryway When the servant girl saw him there She said again to those standing around This fellow is one of them Again he denied it After a little while those standing near said to Peter Surely you are one of them For you are a Galilean He began to call down curses on himself And he swore to them I don't know this man you're talking about Immediately the rooster crowed the second time Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him Before the rooster crows twice You will disown me three times And he broke down and wept I don't think Peter could have ever anticipated It would be a servant girl That would be his downfall a servant girl of the high priest is the one who led Peter to deny that he knew Jesus. You're, you're, you're one of them. You're with that Nazarene Jesus. I think if a guard had come up to him, maybe, or if uh, one of the priests, the chief priests, had come up, Peter might have been emboldened. Didn't see this coming. It's most unexpected. And he denies that he knows Jesus. It happens a second time. It's a servant girl. Matthew tells it's another. it's another servant girl. But in any case, it's, it's someone, probably a teenager, who works for the high priest. Second time, he denies. And the third time, those standing around, they sort of join in. And at this point, having denied Jesus twice, uh, Peter sort of painted into a corner. And when they all sort of gang out on him, he begins to call down curses on himself I, I can't imagine I don't know that I want to imagine what these curses were that you know may God strike me dead something to that effect and he swore to them I don't know this man you're talking about Luke gives us one additional detail which is heartbreaking to the story Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. This is the third time he denied Jesus. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. That Jesus, apparently they were in the same vicinity, Jesus looks at Peter. Peter went out and wept bitterly. This was a night of darkness. Jesus was betrayed. All the disciples abandoned him. Peter, a leader among the disciples, denied knowing him. He was arrested and convicted of blasphemy, found worthy of death. In the words of Heman the Ezrahite, in Psalm 88, the only friend I have left is darkness. But here at the end, I'd I'd like to at least make a defense for the disciples. It had been a long day, a hard day. Jesus had told them that one of them was going to betray him. Uh, They celebrated the Passover, which is supposed to be a joyous celebration. Jesus, when breaking the bread, gives thanks and says, this is my body. And then at the end of the meal, he shares the cup and he says, this is my blood of the new covenant. It's like. Their heads must have been spinning all this information. Um, And then to top it off, Jesus tells them, you all are going to abandon me. You're going to leave me. By the way, two disciples had to go in and prepare the Passover meal. We're not told by Mark, but we're told by other gospel writers. It was Peter and John. So Peter and John had prepared the Passover, time-consuming and no doubt hard work, and all of these things happen. So they're tired. They're tired. It's about midnight. They go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus warns them, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And one could argue that it is when we are fatigued that we are most vulnerable. So what do you do? Take a nap? A long nap? By the way, we do need sleep. I mean, that's part of the human condition. But we also need to watch and pray. After all, you know, the disciples, they're tired. How do you think Jesus feels? I mean, he must be emotionally drained to know that he is about to be betrayed, that all his disciples that he's been with for three years are going to abandon him. Peter will deny knowing him three times and what does Jesus do he doesn't take a nap he prays he prays the disciples slept and then when the time came for the confrontation it is Peter who like in self-sufficiency takes a sword and cuts off somebody's ears Uh, here I got this I can take care of this Uh, he should have listened to what Jesus said Watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. When we do not pray is when we are most likely to be vulnerable to temptation, but also we are most likely to do things in our own strength, to be self-sufficient. I can handle this. I know what to do. I've got this covered. Instead, we should pray. And Jesus is our example for active submission the words of the prayer abba father we need to acknowledge a relationship that god is our father this isn't we're not just talking to someone on the phone this to a machine to a computer we're talking to our heavenly father and then we need to acknowledge father you can do anything all things are possible with you we're not doubting we're not saying You need to work up the power to do what it is I'm asking. He has the ability to do that. And then there may be something that seems far too difficult for us. We don't see how we can handle it. And so if possible, can we like do a detour around this this thing in front of us? But then we submit. Not what I will, but what you will. As I said earlier, Jesus did not have to go to the cross He was not forced to He consented to do so And he was able to do so Because he prayed He prayed The disciples didn't And we see what happened with them They abandoned him And Peter denies him and then this is the last thing I think we need to consider that we in fact may be guilty of the same thing as the disciples of abandoning the Lord of denying him Um, certainly not in the same way that we see Peter or Judas acting Um, but perhaps in our lives in our living or when confronted somebody asks us we sort of that away you know like yeah. yeah i'm not really into that christian stuff um, we try somehow to fit in like peter did with the crowd around the fire while jesus is inside uh, being accused and falsely accused perhaps i am more sympathetic for the disciples because I recognize my own weakness. And what we hear Jesus saying is watch and pray. Watch and pray. You know Paul will write to the Colossians or to the Thessalonians some decades later, pray without ceasing. It's something that used to bother me. It's like I can't pray all the time. And what's this pray without ceasing? We need to recognize The place of prayer in our lives That if we pray By God's grace Don't fall into temptation In our tiredness In our exhaustion um, There's just so much going on in our lives So many things We're just so busy and If we do not watch and pray We may in fact Fall into temptation And deny the Lord who gave his life for us Watch and pray Let's pray together Our Father What we've studied today Is so familiar to us Perhaps too familiar We look ahead to the cross And think that there We see his agony But in the garden of Gethsemane We we hear of his anguish his being sorrowful overwhelmed to the point of death and we see Jesus praying not just once but going back again and again and then the admonition that we are to watch and pray that we not fall into temptation may we take this to heart forgive us when we fail to pray as we should When we think we can do things in our own strength That we have the knowledge, the information necessary uh, To do what is right And we strike out on our own and fail We thank you for the Lord Jesus giving his life But in this passage we give thanks for his example Who in the face of false accusations Did not strike out Did not respond in kind He was silent And we see Peter Who did not pray But instead slept And three times he denied the Lord suspect we're far more like Peter than we are like the Lord Jesus but by your grace through your Holy Spirit may we listen to what Jesus said and follow his example I thank you for bringing us together today I thank you that Oscar is back with us may your spirit and your grace go with us